Sunday, November 8th, 2020. I am your host, a drug counselor from Los Angeles, California. My name is JR. Welcome everyone to the Four Point Plan. As usual, I am joined by my merry band of merry men, starting on my left with my superstar friend, Mr. Guy. Say hi, Guy. Hi, Guy. Hi, JR. Hi, Sean. Hello. Hello, everybody. Uh, let's say hello to Sean here for the Four Point Plan. What's up, Sean? Good morning. Good morning, Guy. Good morning, JR. Hey, I'm super excited here this morning. It's it's November 8th. You know what that means. It was election week here in 2020, and the what? votes are in. The votes are in. They have decided <laughs> drugs are legal in Oregon. All drugs, <laughs> all drugs have been criminalized in Oregon. Can you believe it, folks? I, mean, I don't have everything right in front of me, but from what I understand and what I've heard, all drugs are decriminalized. It's no longer a crime to have drugs in Oregon. So That's crazy. I don't know if that means it's going to put us out of business or what, but uh, <laughs> apparently, all drugs. You can, yeah, you can have. Oh. You can have up to one gram of heroin. And that is not a crime. You can have up to two grams of crack. You can have a gram and a half of crack in your pocket, and you are not breaking the law. It's okay. It's allowed. That's crazy. I'm telling you, the biggest election result of all time. The people have spoken, and the people have said, crack's okay. <laughs> Just say yes to drugs. <laughs> I want to congratulate Oregon. drugs Oregon? for winning the war on drugs. <laughs> Was 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 Oregon State red or blue? <laughs> it's gonna be all green and smoky now. Or black. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be equal parts black and white. A little bit, little bit, some reds and some blues. The old half and half. It old half and half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so look at guys shaking his head. <laughs> Everybody's probably renting a U-Haul and packing up all their stuff and moving up to Oregon now so they can all go do some legal drugs. But listen, when the when the drugs get to be too much for you, when you can't handle your habits and your addictions anymore, you can always come back here to the four-point plan. We exist, man, to help treat people who are using drugs uncontrollably. We have the cure. We have the secret. We have an opportunity for you to find a life free of drugs, spend your whole future drug free. And how do we do it? We do it with a little plan that we call the four point plan. And it's spelled out like this. First, you find a meeting where you feel comfortable going to find several of them. Go to one every single day for three months. This is what we call 90 and 90 hit 90 meetings in 90 days. For me, man, when I was first getting sober, I had to figure out what meeting I was going to every day, and that had to be my number one priority. So 90 and 90. Second part of this is to get a sponsor. Find someone at that meeting that you can relate to and that they have what you want and that they are willing to take the time to teach you how to go through the 12 steps and to change your life. You can't do this on your own because you don't have the experience to do it on your own. You don't know what it takes. So find somebody that knows what it takes and wants to help you get sober and stay sober. Third, find a home group. A home group is a home. If you don't have a home group, then you are. Homeless. That's right. We don't want you to be homeless, right? We want no you to transit. Go find a meeting that you always attend where people there become your friends. They become like a family to you. If you don't show up one day to your home group, they're going to worry about you. They're going to come looking for you. This happens. I've seen it happen. And finally, find a way to be of service. Get a service commitment at meetings, at the area, at the region, at the national level, at the international level. There are lots of ways to be of service in the program, and you can find them if you are so determined, if that's what you want to do. If you want to do a four-point plan, 
you're going to find a way to get a commitment. So I got a lot of faith that you people can do that. So listen, if the drugs get to be too much after you pack up all your things and move to Oregon to do some legal drugs, then get under the four-point plan, man, and go find yourself some meetings. I, I'm half tempted to go up to Oregon just to start catching people as they drop like flies, man. They're going to be, people are going to be like, oh, man, I thought it'd be fun to be hooked on crack. So I moved to Oregon. And I smoked crack for like three weeks and I lost everything. <laughs> now I need some help. Well, maybe the four point plan will be there to help you. Sure. You can log into this in Oregon. That's right. The four point plan is on in Oregon. It is on the World Wide web. The four point plan is on all over the world. So listen to the podcast in Oregon, listen to it in Washington, listen to it in Colorado where they all smoke too much weed. Listen to the four-point plan. Speaking of which, is it okay to smoke weed in recovery? Is that cool? I don't believe so, but that's my personal... No, I don't think so. Guy, I heard in AA, they, they prescribed a, uh, marijuana maintenance. Is there any truth to that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> so is, that, is, that is that what JR calls a gateway? You go through that gateway door, and what's on the other side of that door? Crack, heroin, alcohol. Okay, so not every person that smokes weed is going to end up on heroin. I'll admit that. I'll be the first to admit that. However, every dead heroin addict that I know started with weed. So it's something that if you are starting to dabble around in the devil's lettuce, you might want to be careful. <laughs> devil's lettuce. <laughs> the sticky icky. <laughs> You might want to be careful because marijuana could lead to harder drugs. And we don't want that to happen. Or next thing you know, you'll be moving to Oregon and smoking crack. So be careful. Is pot, oh, pot's legal there too then, huh? Yeah, I think pot was legal there for a while. Uh, pot is now legal recreationally in Arizona. So that might explain why it took him so long to vote for the president because everybody was too high. They're like, oh, man, I was going to vote for the president, but I got high. <laughs> you sound like uh, Afro man. I was gonna go to work, but I got high. I was gonna vote for the president, but I got high. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was gonna get high, but I got high. <laughs> Stay out of Palmdale too. <laughs> that's where that guy's from, right? Up yeah. there, up there in the, the Methylope Valley. It's a place near Los Angeles called the Antelope Valley, the home of Lancaster and Palmdale, and it's all desert land. And what I've been told is uh, crystal meth actually grows there in the sand. Yeah, makes sense. I used to own a bakery there when I was 12, me, my father, my uncle. Guy knows my uncle. Not like that, but guy knows my uncle. Oh, you owned a bakery? That would explain your muffins. Yeah, I got the, got the muffins. He got some <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, so the rest of the election results are in. Uh, apparently, there's going to be a new president. They say that uh, Joe Biden and the uh, uh, Kamala Harris, right? Kamala. One Kamala Harris, I know. And that is James Harris, Kamala the Ugandan Giant. He passed away a few months ago. It's very sad in the wrestling community that Kamala is no longer with us. But it was really cool because some people came out and sent their thoughts and prayers out to the Ugandan people when Kamala passed away. James Harris was from Alabama. But the Kamala, the Ugandan giant, was a character that was based in Uganda. So, you know, let's send our thoughts and prayers to the people of Uganda for losing uh, Kamala, the Ugandan giant. <laughs> I never even heard of him. I heard oh, of Andre the man. giant. Yeah, you need to look up Kamala because he was awesome. He would come out and slap his belly. <laughs> Is that where you got that move from, JR? No, no, I just slapped my belly <laughs> there. He just does it. <laughs> so, big week, right? New president. Uh, crack is legal in Oregon. Um, lots of good things happening. Uh, Everyone I know has been losing their fucking mind. But the cool thing is, man, is I've been going to a lot of meetings and I have not been hearing anything, any political nonsense. People are still focused on their recovery when they go into meetings. So if nothing right. else, guys, if you want a break from the nonstop <clears throat> rhetoric of politics, 
go to meetings, man. People aren't talking about politics in there. People are talking about real life stuff, good stuff, good staying clean stuff. I was just at a meeting with Guy on Friday night and uh, fucking Guy. Oh my goodness. Oh, why? You got you got people in there apologizing to me like, hey, if you see JR at the meeting, tell him you're sorry. <laughs> nobody said, nobody told that person to do that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's it's nice. People care about you and uh, that happens in meetings and it's all good. Um, guys meeting is always a blast. I didn't see Sean there though, Sean. Yeah, I was with my uh, sponsor. I had to go do a had a sponsor pass with my sponsor Friday night. So we went and did some some stuff together and hung out for a little while. You guys were in the club? Yeah, no, no <laughs> club, no no clubbing. I only, I only dance when I drink Jack, so I can't. I don't dance anymore. Oh, yeah, we don't drink Jack no more. I do. You dance or you drink Jack? Dance. <laughs> I can see guy out there shaking his groove thing. Yeah, all dressed up like a like a zombie or something. Yeah, that's good though, man. It's important that people understand that you can still have fun in sobriety. I know a lot of people when they start to get sober, they're afraid that they're never going to have fun again. And for uh, a lot of addicts, man, the the neuropsychology, the neuroscience uh, of this thing, uh, your brain stops secreting certain um, neurotransmitters. Uh, dopamine, uh, pleasure chemicals in your brain. And so you start to worry that you're never going to feel good again if you stop drinking and if you stop doing drugs. So I was terrified of this idea. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm never going to feel good again. So there were certain things that I did. You know, I had sex, you know, every opportunity I got because I thought that might help restart my brain, but you can't really have sex all day, every day. So what I did do was I went out and I got season passes to Six Flags Magic Mountain, Universal Studios Hollywood, and Disneyland. And I spent several days per week in amusement parks. Uh, I didn't have a lot of money, so the way that I was able to afford it is I got monthly payments for each of those things. So they just automatically pulled the money out of my bank account every, every month. And like I said, probably three times a week I was at one of those places. I it's actually pretty. Yeah, it's actually pretty cheap to do that because I did that at Six Flags a few summers back for me and my son. It's pretty cheap for yeah, the down payment. It's like seven bucks or eleven bucks or something. Yeah, seven ten dollars a month. It's not that expensive, and you can even get like the gold pass for the free parking. So yeah. if you're there three times a week, you want to get that free parking too. And uh, in summertime, it's a blast because you can go to the water park next door yeah. and go Definitely. on the water slides and get into the uh, lazy river. <laughs> I used to go on the lazy river, man. I would be unemployed, right? And it'd be 150 degrees outside, well, 110 degrees outside. And I would go up to the lazy river and I'd rent one of those inner tubes for $5. And I'd lay in the inner tube and I'd float on the lazy river for hours, just in the sun, blazing. And I'd be laying there feeling sorry for myself, saying, oh, man, my life sucks because I didn't have a job, right? And then I would dip my head back into the cool water <laughs> And I would lift my head up and I'd be like, well, my life doesn't suck that bad. <laughs> you used to go by yourself? Yeah, I would go by myself. I would go with friends. I would go with, with Julie. Um, but a lot of times I would even go by myself. Uh, I had a sponsee that was always struggling to get clean. So he'd call me up. He'd be like, oh, man, I got like two two days clean. I'm like, cool. We're going to Magic Mountain. I got a buddy pass. <laughs> nice. Yeah, lots of fun. But the roller coasters, man, that was like my favorite thing. That was the thing I thought that really got my brain chemistry to work again. Because, I mean, there's some truth to the idea that your pleasure centers in your brain aren't working uh, appropriately or the way that they would naturally work because you have stunted them by shooting heroin every day or smoking crack every day. So, um, Riding roller coasters, I was convinced, you know, going through those adrenaline highs and all that stuff, that, that it would be opening up pathways in my brain quicker than if I just sat around the house waiting for them to fix themselves. <clears throat> so, man, the roller coasters at Six Flags Magic Mountain in Los Angeles and Valencia are incredible. They're so much fun. I love that one tattoo that you sit in it and it's hanging underneath the track and then it tilts before you start. <laughs> 
so that you're facing the ground and then the roller coaster runs up hanging there and you're facing the ground and you feel like Superman. And I'd just be talking and screaming the entire ride. I'd be like, I'm like Superman. Look at me up here. I'm like Superman. Ain't you know, nothing that can do that. I'm like Superman. I'm flying through the air like Superman. <coughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. It's so much fun. So uh, you can't have fun in recovery. I, you know what? Yes. There's lots of ways that I have fun, but I really want to hear Guy kick in on this because Guy is a fanatic. He, he has fun doing <laughs> stupid shit that I wouldn't even think of. Well, yeah, we, we, all think fun, that, buddy. we all think that life is over if we're going to get sober. I I sure did. At least the what we thought was fun, even though we probably weren't having much fun in those last <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> but, yeah, you know. And there he goes. He froze again. Guy is frozen. He started, started telling us about having fun, and then he froze. Look if anybody's watching on YouTube, you can just see a frozen guy up there in the corner. Frozen right. guy. <laughs> Sean, are you having fun, buddy? Yeah, no, I have fun. I mean, I try to balance balance everything, and you know, my the way I have fun is you know, my kids. My kids are a blast. You know, I I try to go on bike rides at least once a week with them, and you know, we wrestle at the house, and you know, any kind of fun like that mostly comes from you know my kids. Of course, my phone is about to die. Yeah. So you ride the bike every week. Uh, you're, you're wrestling with the kids like Hulk Hogan, like John Cena. You can't see me. Yeah, like like I wrestle like J.R. Roberts. I suplex my kids. They attack me. They tag team <laughs> me. You know, just seeing the joy in their face and the smiles in their faces. You know, that brings me joy. I need to find more joy, more happiness, or more. More things, more ways to have fun. So I, I just, I was on autopilot for the past couple of weeks and, you know, I talked to my sponsor about it and I realized that I was on autopilot after I, we discussed it. And I realized it wasn't a, it's not a positive thing to be on autopilot. I was just going through the motions, you know, and um, so I, I, I recently just kind of got off that. And so I'm, I'm still, I need to find new ways of having fun and excitement. But for the most part, I have, I, I stay pretty humble and, you know, happy. Stay open, man. Stay open, open-minded to uh, new adventures. Uh, I know that you, on occasion, will hit the uh, the Sin City. I've been to Sin City, and I've ridden that roller coaster out there, and that is a badass roller coaster right there. That thing is scary. In New York, New York, have you been on that one, guy? Yeah, I that's, like it. That's a good one. <clears throat> have you been on that oh. one? Have you been on that one? If you're driving from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, there's like a a weird casino on the side of the road. Desperado. Have you been on that one? I think it's Buffalo Bills, isn't it? Yeah. Right there, in, right there in Prim? Yeah. I think it's called the Desperado. That's oh. the name of the coaster? Yeah. Have you been on it? Yeah. Hey, you're a braver man than me. <laughs> you won't go on that one? Dude, it's, it's, talking about the one that, it's talking about the one that spins? It's in Victorville or something, right? No, this is the one in Prim. It's gigantic. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it is so big. I won't fuck with it. You'll go to Six Flags and go on Superman, but you won't go on the Desperado. Oh yeah, Superman's a trip. <laughs> yeah, there's ones that's at Six Flags worse than that. <clears throat> but yeah, you sobriety. You re you really can, and you can even dance in sobriety, Sean. Just give it a little bit more time. Get out All on right. the, get out on the dance floor with me. I'll teach you some moves. All right. <laughs> you got the yeah. headphones in, man. Just just keep those headphones in when you go about your day and listen to some music. And then instead of thinking about going on a dance floor and dancing, just practice while you walk. Have you ever just dance walked? That's the thing, man. Just yeah. walk down the hallway <laughs> like you got a groove in your step. Put a little shake in your rump and uh, get down. Well, you I, 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 I swing dance. You know, I used to swing dance more, but there you, you know, go. So, uh, that's really the only dancing I do. If I'm not, if I'm not drinking Jack, then swing dancing is the only thing I can really do. Yeah, you can't. Uh, by myself in the car. <laughs> <laughs> bumping. Keep it bumping. Music uh, helps, though. Music, music brings me joy, too. I listen to a lot of music, so. You know where I have a lot of fun, man? This is going to sound crazy. I have fun going to meetings, man. 
I love going to meetings. That is like, sometimes it's the best part of my day because I go to meetings. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but I am terribly popular. People love JR. Uh, people are huge fans of about <laughs> everywhere I go. Right? I mean, there's going to be some critics. There's going to be one or two people over in the corner that still want to get high. They're like, oh, fuck that guy. I just ignore those guys, right? I go there, I see all the people that when they see me, their faces <laughs> light up, they get a big smile on their face. They're like, oh, dear, I just go to homie, what's all that? That is true. That is true. You do, but you, you bring me a lot of joy too. Even being at meetings with you, I love going to meetings with you. Yeah, we have fun at meetings, man. It's meetings are fun. If you're not having fun in recovery, what they say, you're doing it wrong, man. That's right. I and I've done things in recovery that I definitely never did while I was using, man. Like I remember uh, one time I had the nerve. I was complaining that my sponsor had invited me to a uh, a game, and I was frustrated because of the timing. I was going to be late or whatever. And someone pointed out to me, they're like, what are you fucking complaining about, JR? When you were using, how many fucking hockey games did you go to? I was oh, like, oh, you got a really good point. What's that? I thought you said a gang. Like no, a gang. A game. <laughs> a game. Okay. okay. <laughs> if I was in a gang, it'd be with you guys. <laughs> All right. The four-point plan gang. We ought to make some t-shirts, some hats. For, oh, holy shit, I never thought of that before. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. I'm going to make some four-point plan hats. <laughs> think, we're all wearing hats today anyways. I think that we should get the four-point plan hat. We should wear it around and make people uncomfortable. We should, as long as it has JR's face on it. Ah, that's even better. <laughs> oh, great. I know I shouldn't have said that. Great. I'm going to work on it right away. I'm going to design it today. Send it off to the hat makers. Get, hopefully get it embroidered. We don't want one of the cheap printed trucker hats. We get a nice fitted embroidered four-point plan hat. <laughs> Picture of JR on it. I love it. <laughs> Gang. It doesn't have to have JR's picture. It doesn't. <laughs> it I love you, JR. But... It absolutely does. Oh, I'm not wearing that one. You got to wear a hat. hope. <laughs> <laughs> If you guys don't wear hats, I mean, it's going to be required to be on the podcast. You got to wear a hat with a picture on it. And you got to wear wear at least three days a week. So that means at least one day when you're at work, three days a week, you got to wear a hat with my picture on it. You tell me you love me. It should just have a hand with four fingers up. So, no, I was talking about going to games because I never went to games before, but my sponsor, man, my sponsor got tickets to all the games. Like, we live in Los Angeles, and we have a lot of fucking sports teams here. My sponsor's got tickets to the Dodgers. He's got tickets to the Lakers, the Clippers, the Kings, the Sparks. I've even gone to a Sparks game. I remember one time my daughter came uh, to visit Los Angeles, and I called my sponsor. I'm like, man, I don't know what to do with her because I was still new at being a father, like figuring out how to do this stuff. And he was like, oh. Take these Sparks tickets. You guys can go to the the L.A. Uh, not the Forum. What is it? The Staples Center. You guys can go to the Staples Center and see the Sparks. Lisa Leslie. What are the, what's Sparks? Women's basketball. basketball. Women's, Women's basketball. I've seen uh, the Aces play in Lancaster a long time ago. I don't even know if they're still around, but yeah. the Aces, Aces Stadium. Yeah, they are. Is that yeah. field hockey? No, it's triple no, A, yeah, triple A baseball. <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah, so I've gotten the chance. I've I've gone to uh, tons of games now. I've seen Dodgers in the playoffs and Clippers playoff games, Kings playoff games. I've seen the uh, my, all my favorite teams. The Red Wings have come and played the Kings. I've seen. I saw uh, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant playing for the Warriors, and they got beat by the Clippers. You <laughs> love that guy. That night that uh, Kevin Durant yeah. got to play with Draymond Green, and then they never played together no more. Cause I remember that. Big crybabies. Clippers um, <laughs> won that game. <laughs> but yeah, man, lots of fun to be had, man, in recovery. Lots of fun to be had. Uh, it is what you make it. It is what you make it. It's all about the actions you take. Some of the funnest times are what we call the meeting after the meeting. Sometimes after the meeting, you go out in the parking lot and you hang out and talk to your friends for hours, and that's a blast. We had a regular tradition uh, when I got clean where we would go to IHOP on Friday night after our Friday night meeting. 
and uh, flirt with the waitress and everybody would have pancakes. And well, that was always a blast. And I tell you the story about the guy who, uh, after we all left, he hung out there and he called his drug dealer. And the drug dealer <laughs> came to the parking lot at the IHOP and gave him a little $40 bag of meth. And, no. uh, and he was alone in the parking lot with his $40 bag of meth, which by the way, I don't think is very much meth. I think it was just one of those little jewelry bags. And uh, he said that he, he called his sponsor because he was ready. He was going to go do the meth. He called his sponsor and his sponsor said, listen, pour that shit out right now. And he did. He poured it out on the on the parking lot in the ground. On a CD case? <laughs> uh, <laughs> he poured it out on the CD <laughs> He poured it out on the asphalt there in the parking lot and he left it. And then he said that uh, the next morning he went back to see if it was still there. Yeah, <laughs> sounds right. Still there? Evil man, that shit gets in your brain, and it's hard to get out, man. It's in there. It's hard to get out. It doesn't want us to let go. Nah, it comes up with reasons, man. Reasons to keep using. Like, imagine how many people relapsed this week because their guy didn't win for president, or. or Oh, no, I got a better one. Imagine how many people relapsed this week because they fucking legalized crack in Oregon. <laughs> what about all That's of our crazy. brothers that are in the program in Oregon? I bet they're all getting fucking loaded now. That's crazy. Uh, not if they're in the pro. If they're living in the solution, doesn't mean they're going to go back to it. Come on, guy. You know more than one person that got clean because a judge told them to because they had a, <clears throat> a three-year suspended sentence of going to prison if they got high. Well, that's gone now. They're not going to prison for getting high. They could just keep on trucking if they get high. So there's some well, people that are relapsing. I don't know. We'll see can. how they handle it. I think there's going to be people that have problems with with drugs and alcohol, regardless of the, if they're legal or not. And alcohol, you know, alcohol is legal, and I like live. I like living in the solution of it. I'm talking about the solution of how to get how to get out of it. Okay, so this is a really important piece of this solution of decriminalizing drugs in Oregon. The reason that they did this is they are trying to follow the path of uh, other places that have done this before. And there's a country, Portugal, that decriminalized all drugs. Uh, the story, as told by Johan Hari in his TED Talk, is that uh, 15 years ago, 1% of the population of Portugal was addicted to heroin and <clears throat> was concerned about this and they wanted to figure out how to solve it. So they hired their top scientists, a team of si top scientists to go and research it for five years and figure out how do we cure this? How do we solve this bad problem? And when they came back, the scientists said, okay, we've done all the research and we figured out what to do. Decriminalize all drugs make them all legal. But that's not where you stop. That's where we're at in Oregon, right? We've decriminalized the drugs, but that's not where you stop. What they did in Portugal is they took all the money that they were using to punish drug addicts and to, to put people in prison and take them to court, and prosecute all that money, take all that money and put it back into the community, back into the drug addicts. And they taught them the four point plan. And help them, no, not the four point plan, <laughs> their life. They still have traditional drug treatment, but not as much as you might think, not as much as we do here. What they did with the money was they used it to set up social service programs that would help people get jobs. So like, say you're a mechanic in Portugal and you've gotten off heroin and <clears throat> you go and apply to work at a uh, auto shop. The Portuguese government went to the auto shop and said, listen, if you hire this guy and if he keeps the job for six months, we will pay half of his wages. So they were spending money to help people get jobs so that they could uh, continue to stay sober. Because what they figured out, man, is people are doing drugs because they're not connecting to anything else. But if people have an opportunity to connect to things like a job or whatever, then they have a better chance of staying sober. But that's only certain jobs. There's some jobs that you do where your relapse uh, possibility actually increases rather than decreases. Does anybody know what kind of job I'm talking about? Like a bartender or working at a dispensary. 
even being a chef, you know, when I was a chef, I drank all the time. Supposedly there's more alcoholic chefs than there is bartenders in the world. Were you drinking cooking wine? I drank anything. Wine, 150 degree brandy. A little bit for the sauce, a little bit for the chef. <laughs> it's another reason, one of the main reasons why I don't work in the, the kitchen anymore. Oh. <clears throat> Great. Next time we go to a restaurant, I'm going to be convinced that the kitchen's full of drunk people. Well, the <clears throat> Maybe not drunk people, but they probably have them. Probably got a good solid buzz for sure. There's, there's some people out there. Guy, you're quiet again. We can't hear you, buddy. We can't hear you. So I wanted to bring this up because one of the uh, one of the jobs that people uh, tend to relapse at are people who work in drug treatment. It's terrible. What can we do to help people in drug treatment stay sober? Well, I tell you what the biggest problem I've seen is, is people begin to substitute their job for their recovery. I actually right. saw someone yesterday say, oh, but does your job keep you clean? And I wanted to say, hell, fuck no, my job don't keep me clean. My job stresses me the fuck out. I'm lucky I stay sober at my job. But uh, what keeps me clean is going to meetings, man. What keeps me clean is not the job. What keeps me clean is calling my sponsor all the time or, or going into my home group every week or doing uh, service in the program that saved my life. But sure, the fuck ain't going to work at my job. And I love this because I know that you guys are on the same page as me. You guys are not neither one of you substituting your job for your recovery. You still go to meetings all the time. No. Hey, guy, we yes. can hear you again. You can't hear me? If we can't. Can. All right. No. Yeah, there's some people that no matter what job they have, they're going to get fucking loaded. You know, you can't blame it on the job. If you don't, if you are just doing a job and not doing anything to re, to better yourself or to to think about recovery for your for you on the inside, it, it's not going to work. Can you still hear me? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah so i don't know you we gotta work we live in a we live in a society where we do have to work but we also are alcoholics and addicts that need recovery it's pretty simple well what about this one guys i got a new guy that says he's working security and i heard him say security i'm like oh cool when sean first got sober he was working security <clears throat> not a bad job for you that's good but then I found out he said uh, he said he was he was working security for a girl, and I was like, "All right, cool. I don't know who the girl is, but that sounds cool." But it turns out I had I had mistook what he said. He's not working security for a girl. He's working security for a grow. A grow? What the fuck uh, is a grow? So apparently, this guy sits in his car all night outside of a building where they grow tons of fucking weed. I'm like, no, that's not a good job. That's a terrible <laughs> job. You're, you're a fucking drug dealer now. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm just doing security in my car. Like, you fucking, Jesus Christ, you're fucking sitting outside of a fucking drug. What if they come with machine guns? You gonna die for the weed? What the fuck, man? Go get a normal job. Go do security <laughs> at a bar or something. Go do security <laughs> fucking weed, grow. That's a fucking terrible idea. He was like, really? And then afterwards, he came up to me, like, one-to-one. -one, he was like, hey, JR, man, do you really think that's a bad idea in my job? I was like, fuck yeah, that's a terrible idea. That's one of the worst fucking ideas I've ever heard. Jesus Christ. Like, what if I was fucking, you know, uh, bagging up bags of heroin for a living? Would I be able to stay sober? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Working at a fucking warehouse full of weed. Yeah, good yeah. idea, kid. Before I started, before I started working in treatment, my sponsor he was real skeptical on not allowing me to work there, but against me working there because because I had to I have to keep it separate. I have to keep my job separate than my my recovery, and I have to work twice as hard on my sobriety because I do work in treatment. But I, I get a lot of rewarding from working in treatment. I like it. It's a cool environment. You know, I can be myself. I don't have to hide who I am, and you know, I get to work with these two clowns. We laugh all day long. But, but but 
you know, he, he told me like, I have to work twice as hard, you know, like I go to meetings almost every single day still. And, you know, I have to keep it separate, especially emotional boundary. I have to keep emotional boundary from some of the patients that come through there because it's their sobriety, not mine. And I can't fix everybody, but if somebody asks for, or I talk to people all the time and, you know, I, I think it's called 12 step work and, you know, I enjoy it. And if they, if they, if they listen, they listen, but I don't get too involved in anybody's sobriety because it takes away from mine and then emotionally drains me. So I, uh, I was trained to be a drug counselor by a legend in the field. His name was Dr. James Cross and he was a genius. This guy was a beautiful, brilliant man. He would dress up in weird outfits and come and teach us in class. He taught us about uh, Selma, Alabama. He taught us about the Holocaust in World War II and he taught us about the Armenian Holocaust, the Cambodian genocide. And um, I didn't understand what he was trying to teach us, man. But he was trying to teach us that you got to have a heart and you got to have compassion to work in this field. But also, he said, if you're working in this field and you're an addict or an alcoholic, then you're what they call a two-hatter. So a two-hatter needs to stay super conscious of their own recovery. And because of that, he taught me what you were just saying, Sean, that if you work in recovery, you have to work twice as hard if you work in treatment, you have to work twice as hard on your own personal recovery as any other addict. So if you see people at meetings during the week, but they're not working in treatment, you need to go to twice as many meetings as they do. And I believed him and I did it because that's what I understood. I trusted people that taught me how to do this stuff, man. And working in treatment, what I do see is I see a lot of people that substitute their job for their recovery. And I think it's idiotic. I think it, it will lead to relapse eventually. Um, I ask someone if they go to meetings and they say, oh, yeah, I go to four meetings every week. I'm like, really? Which ones? They're like, oh, well, I work on Monday, so I take the patients. I work on Tuesday, I take the patients. I'm like, that's not going to a fucking meeting. Yeah, you're physically at a meeting, but you're not there for your fucking recovery. You can't sit there and pay attention to a good speaker. If you got to watch Billy Joe Bob from Alabama sneak off to the bathroom to fucking make sure that he's not getting high, you got to go in there and slap a crack pipe out of his mouth. That's not you going to a fucking meeting. That's you going to work, dumbass. If you're getting paid for it, it ain't fucking recovery. That's fucking working in treatment. That's different. Well, when I when I worked yeah, when I did security, I, I read my big, big book when I was on the shift, so I kind of got paid to read. I had to read the big book from cover to cover as part of my you know part of my sponsorship, but so I kind of uh, but no, I know what you're saying definitely. Because yeah, but people used to take me to to rides. Well, I got picked up mostly from other sponsors, but I remember you telling this before, Jr. About you know people using their job and getting paid for it. And no, I, I definitely agree with you. Now that now that I work there and I can see it, like I can see how emotionally draining it could be. And like just because I work in recovery doesn't mean it's part of my recovery. Even though I do talk to a lot of people and I enjoy that part of it, like I really do, and it's it's super rewarding. But then I go to a meeting after I get off work and call my sponsor every single day. Still, thank God, man, because you're the smart one. You know, I got friends, man, they're complete fucking idiots. I got this lady I know, man. She's been she like quit her regular career and she got into drug treatment, but she kept relapsing. And then she would like, she wouldn't go to meetings and I would wonder what was going on with her. I'd see her pop up on Facebook and she'd be like, I'm so grateful today that I get to go to work and help the struggling addicts. And then the next week she'd fucking relapse again because people don't understand going to fucking meetings at work or going to work with addicts is not your personal recovery. And I actually saw someone comment on a Facebook post saying, well, if you're working in treatment, did it help keep you clean? Fuck no. Working in treatment is not your personal recovery. That's not how you're going to fucking stay clean. And if you're out there and you're telling people, oh, well, your recovery's solid because you work in treatment, you're a fucking idiot. I've seen so many people I work with fucking relapse. People come in to work high. There was a dude that used to sit at his desk, man, and he would fucking nod the fuck out. And everyone was like, that dude's high. That guy's high. He's fucking high. And they drug tested him over and over again, but I think he was faking tests or whatever. And then one day he just fell out. Like he nodded out and collapsed at his desk, and they had to take him to the hospital. And they're like, okay, well, we've never caught him doing drugs, but we're going to fucking fire him. 
because that dude's fucking high. So you just know, man, there are people that work in treatment that if they're not working on their recovery, they're working on their fucking relapse. Now you can tell when people's, you know, when their behavior changes and, you know, their attitude changes, the way they walk and dress and the bags under their eyes. And you can totally tell when somebody's, for the most part, when somebody's either on the verge of it or in the middle of it. It's scary, you know, because these, these are your colleagues and, you know, you, you want to be there for them, but it's there, yeah, it's a trip. I just say grateful. So, guy, if you got a friend and they work in treatment and they don't go to fucking meetings anymore, I hope you fucking tell them, bro. I hope you fucking tell them. Your ass needs to get to a fucking meeting. Yeah, I encourage it. You know, that's what it comes down to is they're going to do what they're going to do. Unfortunately, I try to, I worry about me and I know I need, I need to get recovery for myself. And a job is a job. It's, if anything, it adds stress in your life, no matter what job we do. And to give recovery, I get it. I get it from going to AA and, and working, working with others there. And it's a different, it's a whole different world for me. Dude, you got to be the example, though. And you are, I, I think all three of us do a pretty good job about this. Um, be the example for, for the next person that comes along, especially if someone's new uh, to the career, like someone's been clean for six months, a year, they start working in treatment, then show them, hey, not everybody's a fucking knucklehead and decided not to go to meetings anymore. I'm here and I'm doing this thing and I still go to meetings all the fucking time because that's the way that I got clean and that's the way I'm going to stay clean. Like you don't suddenly reach a certain <clears throat> point in time. Oh, I got a year sober. I ain't got to go to meetings no more. Nah, man. You know what you were doing for that first year? You were training your brain on how to be healthy and the way that you trained it was by going to meetings. So Sean was talking about, you know, feeling a little like blah or whatever. It's just a reminder, man. You got to keep doing what you did when you first started out, man. And what we did when we first started out was we went to fucking meetings. So always, man, I don't care if you got 25 years clean, man. You keep going to meetings because that's that's the, the part that will keep you clean, man. Well, that's what that's what they're doing. The ones that are, that are staying clean and sober that have 25 years and they're happy. They're happy with life. I, I noticed that they are, they're going to meetings. They're still doing this program of AA, NA, CA. And I saw that. So that's what I wanted. And that's what I do. Also, let it be said, if you're working in treatment, don't fuck your patients. Jesus Christ. How many people need to be <laughs> There's only two ways to get fired where I work, man. As far as I could tell, I mean, there might be others, but the ones that I've seen over and over again are people that get high and people that fuck their patients. So don't fuck your fucking patients, you fucking idiots. If you don't get high with treatment, them. Let me, let me fucking pound this idea into your head. If you work <laughs> in fucking treatment, do not fuck your patients. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, all, all, the only patients I see are all male, so I think I'm good there. <laughs> so yeah. the good news is man uh we're staying sober man we don't care we're, we're in los angeles we're surrounded by people on drugs it's it's only getting worse it's not getting better we see more and more people rolling in every day uh people are overdosing they fucking record amounts it's massive it's because uh there's so much fentanyl out there uh, people are mixing fentanyl into all the heroin and half the cocaine and some of the crystal meth. There's even people with doobies that got fucking fentanyl in it. I know a guy that fucking took a pill. He thought it was just a simple little uh, painkiller and they fucking dropped dead because he thought it was a painkiller and it was fucking fentanyl. Something called a pressed pill. You guys know about this shit? Apparently you can get a bootleg pill where they put fentanyl in it. Sounds like fucking idiot. Um, I got sounds like idiot. <laughs> I, I got people that come to me and say, uh, my drug of choice is fentanyl. And like, they brag about it. Like, I'm so proud of the fact that my drug of choice is fentanyl. It's like saying, oh, my drug of choice is Russian roulette. But instead of a revolver, I use an automatic. 
I use a double barrel shotgun and I just uh I alternate on which which trigger I pull. Because <laughs> what I'm trying to say, man, is if you're doing fentanyl and that's your drug of choice, it's not gonna be long before you are fucking dead. And you don't have to. No addict needs to die from the horrors of addiction. No addict needs to die from the horrors of addiction. So if you want another way out, man, if you want to survive, one, don't do fucking fentanyl. Two, don't do any fucking drugs. Three, do the fucking four-point plan. 90 and 90, get a sponsor, get a home group, get a commitment. This thing is here, and it is designed to save your fucking life, man. Do this thing. Sean did it. Guy did it. Tell him about the four-point plan, guys. It works. We got to do different things. We got to get out of our out of our old routines and get into a new routine. Well, the four point plan for me was uh, it was either life or death. You know, I came in, I came in through treatment. I was lost. I was I was broken. I was disconnected from any God that I ever thought I knew or knew. You know, and then, you know, I started doing the four point plan and all the little, all the little things in between it helped me like to rewire my brain for, for these new principles. You know, I did 90-90 and I started reading the big book cover to cover. Then I got my sponsor. Well, actually, I got my sponsor first, but I did my sponsor. And then the commitments, I had to get a commitment at every single meeting I was at. So now I was going to seven meetings a week with seven commitments at my home group. My home group is not not only like my family, but they every single person at my fa- every single person in my home group altogether. Like any any life situation I had, somebody had the answer for. Somebody's been through it sober, not just you know like kidney stones or you know any legal issues. Like this one person in your home group, most likely that has been through something that that you need, and they've all went through it sober. So home group was essential for me because it was I didn't really have. I didn't know how to live life. I didn't know how to, to do these things that I didn't know how to do anything sober. You know, everything was back to drinking or, you know, back to getting loaded just to, to, to make it easier for me. And these people, my home group, everybody there showed love. They loved me before I could love myself and they showed me how to go through it. All right. <laughs> I have been going to your home group, man. Yeah. Those people over there, they love you. Well, I love them. And that's what happens. You get to know, we just get to know these people little by little. And even whether we want to get to know them or not, we just, it just ends up happening. And it's a, and it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. People that support each other, they, they root for you to, to survive. They root for you to stay clean and sober. Who doesn't who doesn't want that? Is there someone hoping that you that you do bad so they can take your stuff and all of that, all of those things that used to happen in our in our addiction, you know? There wasn't very many people that care really about you. They might say they do, but at the end of the day, when the shit hits the fan, they're usually nowhere to be found. Yeah, you can't trust those uh, those old friendships, man. The ones, and, and this is important. We gotta teach people, man. When you get clean, do not go out there and uh, hang out with your old friends. Because I hear that a lot, man. They're like, "Oh, man, I got sober, but those were my people, and they loved me." Man, if you were fucking getting high with them, it's probably best that you take a break from those people for like a year or more. Like, give yourself a break. <laughs> Don't go back to the barbershop because if you hang out in the barbershop, you're going to get a fucking haircut, man. So stay right. away from people who you got high with and instead make some new relationships with people in your home group because they're going to be there for you. You know, when I got sober, I finally started wrestling again and all my home group members came and saw me over the years, man. I can't think of a single home group member that wasn't there at least once. And remember, this is a lot of it is little old ladies or people that <clears> fucking <throat> hate wrestling or whatever. But they came out to support me because they love right. me. People they knew it was important to you and and they like 
they want to support you in in any which way. We start That's how fucking home groups work, man. People don't we get build it. relationships. We definitely build relationships. That's, and that's how the four point plan works, man. People don't understand the four point plan. And that's what we're here at the podcast doing, man. We're teaching people how the four point plan works. And it works by going to meetings, getting a sponsor, getting a home group, building those relationships, getting commitments, finding some accountability and responsibility. This is how things work. And this is how the four-point plan works. And I want people to do it, man. Don't think about it. Do it. Don't talk about it. Do it. Don't want it. You know what we say, man? I'd rather uh, I'd rather be in recovery and think about getting high than getting high and thinking about getting recovery. Right. I like that one. So, uh, listen, it's a wild week here in, uh, in four-point plan and, and in the whole world. You know, if they legalize fucking drugs in Oregon just drives me insane. Uh, The fact that we have a new president is whatever. I don't think it's going to affect whether or not I get high. Uh, What does matter, man, is that I keep going to meetings. I keep calling my sponsor. I keep up in my home group and I keep doing my commitments. I do those four things. I stay clean. I get life beyond my wildest dreams. That's right. I, I agree. No matter what goes on in the world. The only thing I can control is me and my actions. And that's what keeps me sober, clean and sober today. Well, I hope your actions continue to take your ass to meetings all week, man. You continue to stay yes. sober. And uh, I know I'm going to see you at work, but I'll also see you next week when we come back here for another awesome episode of the Four Point Plan. Sound good, buddy? Sounds like a good plan to me. Right on. <laughs> Bye, everybody, from the Four Point Plan. Don't forget to go to the fourpointplan.com website. Spell it out, fourpointplan.com. Don't be afraid to email us. The number fourpointplan at gmail.com. Look for us on YouTube. We're out there, folks. We're out there. We're out there helping people stay clean, stay sober, and stay alive. Find a life beyond your wildest dreams. Goodbye. Bye, everybody.